Good morning. Good to see you. Um, I don't know if you as adults have ever uh, thought that, man, it would be it would be fun to be a kid again, you know, if I could do it over, uh, you know, all the advantage I would take of uh, the freedom. And I think sometimes we're thinking like, you know, times were happier, you know, rose-colored glasses. But I think what we're craving, I'm guessing, is the simplicity of being a kid, where you didn't have to worry about uh, insurance or health issues or, uh, you know, mortgage payments. It was just like you ran around and had fun. And I mean, I know being a kid is more complex than that. I get it. But I think we love the simplicity. And so that concept, the, the simplicity of what it, of life is achievable. But what we've been doing in this series is we've been talking about simplicity, pure and simple devotion is just living with Christ at the center of our lives. That's what it's about. And it's never really been complex. It's just, it's, it's a, Hard to implement because life is distracted and crowded and cluttered. But that's what it is. It's just simply allowing Christ to be at the very center of our lives. And then just everything else kind of gets arranged around that. And so last week we talked about the idea that the evidence of that simplicity, the evidence of that devotion is our obedience. When we're obedient, that's how you show that this is what my life is about. And so we talked quite a bit about uh, obedience. And, uh, and this week we're going to talk about the expression of that simplicity is worship. The expression is worship. Um, some of you are like, oh, honey, why did we come today? Worship, that sounds so boring. I, and I think prob- probably some of the reason that maybe the idea of worship is a little bit vague. Um, I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago, um, helping a child with their homework. And they're asking me about math homework. And math is not my strong suit anyway. I'm pretty, pretty bad at it. And they were, uh, they, you know, and I, I have these vague recollections. But I wasn't good at this stuff in seventh grade to begin with. And I'm certainly no better at it now. I have not been practicing for the last 30 or so years, 30 plus years on this, you know, how to invert and multiply fractions. None of that has been there. Now, there are these like kind of vague notions of the things that you're supposed to do. But it's not like fully formed and clear and kind of uh, all able to be articulated in your mind. And the same is true for like a variety of school. You know, you remember, how do you spell this word? There's some, there's some song, you know, the I and the E and there's a C in there somewhere. And there's some like little thing you can say that helps you remember how that goes. And every time you do it, you kind of say that word. Every time you write way or neighbor or whatever, you're like, I before you, how does that? You're saying that little thing because there's these vague notions, but it's not necessarily fully formed. I think our idea of worship can kind of fall into that category. It's there. We kind of know generally what it is, but it's not exactly clear. So in my experience, um, in just kind of working with with churches and being around people, worship is primarily a religious concept. Um, We know it's something pretty core to the Christian experience. We know that there's something very like deep and profound about what worship is and should be. We know it's like very near the center, but maybe not exactly what it is. And I think, and I could be wrong, but I've seen this happen so many times that most of us internally translate the word worship in our minds as people are saying it. And we translate that in our brains to, to mean something along the lines of like singing or vaguely what we do on a Sunday morning. That, that is worship somehow. And it's, and it's generally like sometimes we even use the word singing and worship almost synonymously when you're talking about singing in a religious context. Like they're, they're almost the same thing. Early on in my, uh, my ministry uh, career, I, had, I got a call from a brand new Christian. I mean, he had been a Christian probably, I don't know, a few months, maybe, maybe six months by that point. 
And he calls me up on a Sunday afternoon, and, uh, and he starts the conversation with, like, Patrick, I'm okay with dying. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Where's this, where's this going? Okay, yeah, that sounds good. I suppose that's a, that's a win, I think. I, I hope it's not anytime soon, young guy. He goes, I'm okay with dying, but I do not, under any circumstances, want to go to heaven. That's like the incentive for most of us. Most of us are like, yeah, Christianity can be tough, but hey, at least someday when I die, I get to go be with Jesus. And this guy is like, hey, I'm, all, I'm okay with dying, but heaven, no thank you. All right, tell me more about that, because I have no idea what you're talking about. Or, and he said, he said that he had heard, and I don't remember uh, where he said he had heard this, but he had heard the idea he had heard it in a sermon, or he had heard it, he'd read it somewhere, that heaven was, we will worship God forever. That's what heaven was. I don't know if any of you have ever heard this idea, that heaven, when you spend eternity with God, heaven is, we will worship God forever. Now, that's a true statement, but I want you to think about it in the context that he heard it. He goes to small town Iowa church where 90% of the time Patrick is leading the songs and doing the best he can, but it's just okay. There's a handful of people in the congregation. We're singing out of the sacred selections for the church. Anybody familiar with that one? That's a special kind of songbook where you have all the songs that you know memorized and every once in a while a song leader will pick one and you're like, oh, he doesn't know this. He thinks he knows it, but he doesn't know it. And of course, the song service goes south pretty quickly. The most exciting thing that happens in some of these songs services is I remember this one service, I don't remember her name, Sister Ethel or whatever, we're singing the high note of how great thou art and her dentures came out during the song. (laughs) You know, we're trying, we're trying, we're singing our best, we're, you know, I think God is pleased with our worship, but we're trying and what he hears when he hears that is he hears that not only are you going to do that in heaven, but you're going to do that forever. You're going to be sitting in wooden pews facing forward while Patrick waves his hand in the air and we all sing the same 400 songs that we know. That, in his mind, was heaven. And so when he said, I don't want to go to heaven, that's what he was talking about. I don't want to go to that heaven either. But when you see that phrase, we will worship God forever, and you're like, that's, that's what it is? That's what we're waiting for eternally? And so we talked a little bit about, about this idea, but what he had done is he had taken the idea of worship, and he had just limited it to what we had done on Sunday mornings, and he assumed that that's just what heaven was forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I can understand why that was kind of like not pretty exciting. He goes, I'm not sure this is what I signed up for. And it was a legitimate crisis of his faith. He's like, why would I want to live this way if that's the reward that I'm expecting? That did not sound like a promise. That sounded like a punishment. Centered around a common but ill-defined concept of worship. This is going to sound like I'm selling a product. I'm not. But I believe that there are depths of beauty and meaning that can be introduced into our lives by having a clear understanding and experience of worship. I think worship is the way we express devotion, pure and simple devotion. So let's explore this concept. We're going to look back in the Bible. We're going to look at three verses, and then we're going to look at one verse or two verses in the New Testament, three verses kind of earlier on. We're going to go a little bit chronologically, but I want you to see... What the Bible, how the Bible describes worship, and how it's so much more than singing 728B for the rest of eternity. 
Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. It's always interesting to see the very first use of a word. The very first use in the Bible of a word. And this is the very first use of the word worship in Scripture. Genesis 22, verse 5. It's a familiar story to to many of us. It's It's a strange story. God had commanded Abraham to travel to this specific mountain, very specific mountain listed earlier in the chapter, and to offer his son as a burnt offering, his child. Now, some of you, if you're new to Christianity or haven't read that story, you're like, well, hold up. What is that about? That's, I, it's strange. I get it. Another time, another place we can talk about that. But that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to go to this mountain, offer his child as a sacrifice, like, like physical sacrifice. Actually kill his child, put him on an altar, kill his child, and offer him to God. And what in the world? I know it, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are strange that it's worth exploring, but we can't today. So Abraham, Isaac, a couple servants pack up. They head to this mountain. And then in Genesis 22, verse 5, he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Either he was lying or he had some vague notion that uh, his son would not die in this situation. We will worship and we will come back to you. There it is. The very first time the word worship is used in the Bible. And it wasn't about going to a small town, rural Iowa church and singing songs. There was something else going on. He was giving God something. He was sacrificing something to God. And and he described it. Abraham described it as worship. Exodus chapter 3. This is, we move forward a couple hundred years. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 is another description of this strange concept that we call worship. And it's another familiar story. Moses, you know the story, Prince of Egypt, you know, you know all that. Moses was on a mountain again. He was on a mountain and he sees off in the distance a burning bush. So sacrifice your son, burning bush. I know, Bible's strange, but there's reasons. And Moses thought this was strange. He looks at this bush and he's like, well, I'm going to go take a closer look at that. That's very odd. And as he gets closer to the burning bush, the burning bush speaks to him. Moses, Moses. Now, I don't know what I would have done in that situation, but, of course, they didn't have hidden cameras. This, you know, wasn't candid camera, but I would have looked around like, is anybody watching this before I answered talking to this bush? I would have looked around to say, is, what is going on? What is this? Moses responds like, uh, here I am. And he gets a little closer, and the bush says, wait, stop, right there. Do not come any closer. This is verse 5. God said, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. He's on a mountain. This is holy. There's something about holiness that has to do with worship. This place is special because God is there. And God's presence gives it significance and meaning. And you interact with it differently. Now, this, the, whole, the word holy is a very churchy word, very strange idea, but I think we get the idea, uh, we get the concept when it comes to special places that are interacted with differently. Uh, we have operating rooms that are very special places. They're, they're cleaned in a certain way, and to enter into that room, you have to scrub just so, and you have to wear certain clothes so you can go into that room because this place is reserved for very special, significant purposes. There's something different that happens here versus everywhere else. You can't just walk in to an operating room with your flip-flops eating a burrito because that wouldn't be appropriate to the situation. This is a different space and it's interacted with differently. It's, it's, the Bible uses the term holy. God's presence is there. It's holy. Minnesotans get this, right? Not a lot of the country takes off their shoes when you come into the house, but Minnesotans do. We take off our shoes when you come into the house. And you, if you've never been to Minnesota, Minnesota house before and you walk in and there's this massive pile of shoes at the front door, you're like, what is this? 
If you're from the South, you're like, nobody told me to wear my good socks. I didn't know. But we get it. We get it because the snow and the dirt and the mud, we get this, that it's interacted with differently. And there's, there, there's, there's a different way that you engage with this space because of what it is. So God t- has this whole conversation. Moses takes off his shoes. Moses has just been guiding around a bunch of sheep. I don't know what he's been stepping in. God says, the, the, your shoes are not appropriate for this place. Takes off his shoes. They have this conversation. And God says, go to Egypt Tell Pharaoh to let my people go so we can go back to this mountain and worship. That's what he says. We can worship here on this mountain, this special place, this holy place. And then, of course, at the end of the story, uh, Moses says, oh, hey, speaking of, if I'm going to go do this, he's very reluctant. But if I'm going to go do this, I need to tell him which God is sending me. What's your name? He hasn't even had this conversation yet. He hasn't introduced himself to, to God. And in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Is that an answer? Is that a name? Is that a description? This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I am who I am. What? Now, most of your translations helpfully capitalize that phrase because they know the name of God is significant. It's holy. In fact, lots of people throughout history wouldn't write this phrase down. In fact, your Bibles, if you turn to just literally almost any page in your Old Testament and you scroll down and you find the word LORD, in all caps, what happened was, is some translator said, I do not want to misuse the holy name of God, so I'm going to substitute another word in there. But the word that is there is the holy, significant, special name of God. But I don't want to accidentally misuse it, so I'm going to write the word Lord. And it's, it's, it's thousands of times, over like 6,000 times in your Bible, they substituted the word because they wanted to treat God's name with special significance. It was holy. I am what I am. But, but what, does that, what does that mean? We know it's significant, but what does that mean? I'm old enough to remember before restaurants offered free refills everywhere. Uh, and this is not true in, in the rest of the world. If you go to other parts of the world and you're like, you down your soda real quick and you're like, can I get another one? You're like, yeah, but that's going to be another two bucks or whatever. So here in the States, you know, free refills. And some genius economist, brainiac person said, these guys, they're chumps. And if we tell them they get free refills, we can charge them $4 for a soda and it costs us 20 cents. We're going to make a killing. And we Americans were like, this is the best thing ever. And I remember being a kid and seeing on the menu that what they called it, they called it bottomless drinks. And I, my imagination is just like, it's never ending. You just drink and drink and drink and it's going to be wonderful. It's like, you know, a kid on Halloween just eating all the candy, free refills, bottomless drinks that never ends, soda that never runs out. What is this heaven? This is amazing. This is incredible. It's endless. I want you to have that idea in your mind because when you think of God as I am, God is who he is endlessly. Humans are who we are some of the time. When you were dating, and not to pick on husbands, but when you were dating, your husband may have been more romantic than he is currently. Maybe your husband wrote you little love poems when you were dating, and he took you to fancy restaurants, and he opened the door for you, and you thought, my husband is romantic, this is who he is. And then you got married, and it seemed like some of that may have faded. You don't get nearly as many poems anymore. It's, something's different. There was, there was romance, and you thought it was core to his being, but you realize that there's a shelf life to the romance. That, that he is who he is some of the time. 
You are patient some of the time. As long as you don't get hungry or tired, you are full of patience. But there is a limit to that patience. If you're driving down the road and the kids are making a lot of noise in the back car, you, the back seat, you find that car. That would be handy, right? A little trailer on the end and gets you right there. That would help with the patience. But the, you are who you are. That You're patient some of the time. There's limits. There, there's edges. You are who you are some of the time. God is who he is all of the time. And even qualities like wealth and beauty, those things eventually go away. They eventually disappear because we are, whatever the characteristics we have, we are that some of the time. We have limits to to, to those, there, there are edges to that. God is who he is endlessly, endlessly. There is an endless horizon of faithfulness with God. He is who he is. There is an infinite universe of love with God. He is who he is. There is a bottomless well of goodness with God. He is who he is. So when he says, I am, he is that way. He was that way, is that way, will be that way forever. He is who he is. This is the holy God that we serve. He is that way, no matter what the circumstances of our life try to to, to encourage us to think. I am who I am. This may seem like an abstract theological concept, but it's important to worship. Have you ever been overthanked by somebody? Have you ever been overthanked? I know I can see it on some of your faces. Some of you have been in an audience when someone started to give a standing ovation and you thought, I am not standing up and clapping. That performance was worth maybe a golf clap. It is not worth standing and clapping. That would be overdoing it. That would be inappropriate to the performance I just saw to stand and clap. I would be lying with my body, and I'm not going to do that. I know some of you are like that. Some of you won't do that anyway. But it's, you feel like there is a situation because that would be overdoing the thankfulness. You cannot overthank God. Amen. You can't do it. You can't say so many nice things that God's like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Stop it, stop it, stop it. You can't do it. You can't sing too many songs to God extolling his virtues and that, that God's like, oh, this is just awkward. This is just getting weird. You can't do it because God deserves that and more because he is who he is endlessly. That is the holy God that we serve. So worship is to recognize these infinite truths about a holy God. Third verse. John chapter 4. Let's fast forward another couple thousand years. John chapter 4. I know we're sweeping through history here. This is a good story too. Uh, it's, a, it's such a fantastic story in the Bible. And there's just so many, like in the Gospels, and there's so many different elements we could talk about. But bottom line is Jesus is having a conversation with a strange woman and it got real personal real quick. What's going on? But here's the conversation. So the lady has a a, a bit of a background, and Jesus is probing that background. And you can almost sense in the text that she's trying to change the topic of conversation. So it's like when you were at Thanksgiving dinner, and somebody started talking about politics. You brought up sports, because if we're going to talk about something controversial, let's talk about that instead of uh, what's going on in our political world today. You were trying to change the conversation. And this lady, you can see, almost trying to do that. This, Jesus is like, hey, t- tell me about your, uh, your past relationships. Oh, hey, let me ask you a theological question. You're, you seem like a really smart guy. And she says this in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Total change of subject. Our ancestors, now she's a Samaritan, so she didn't worship in Jerusalem like the rest of the Israelites. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. 
Oh, that's interesting. Mountain. That's the third time we've seen worship on a mountain. Third of hundreds of times in the Bible. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem on another mountain. Now, so who's right? Theological conundrum. And I know some of you are like, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's get deep into the weeds of where exactly we need to worship. But this is an important question for their day. It was very divisive. And Jesus replied, woman, don't try that at home. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither at this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Wait, that's not the right answer. That wasn't one of the multiple choices, Jesus. You have to worship God on a holy mountain and you have to worship God just this certain way. And Jesus is like, no, both both of those options are wrong. Verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. True worshipers. Listen to how many times he says worship and true and spirit and truth in here. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Truth. I want you to note the word truth. The word truth in this text. It is deceptively, deceptively easy, particularly in our worship, to get confused between preference and truth. Preference and truth. We tend to think worship is good when we like it, uh, rather than what is actually happening. So when, when we like the song service, that was good worship. But we're not really asking the question whether or not God liked it. That's not really on our radar. But, but he, he talks about true worship, and I think for a lot of us, especially if you've grown up, especially if you've grown up in the Church of Christ, you're like, yes, true worship. Exactly what is true worship? Jesus, give us a checklist so we know exactly what true worship is, so we can do exactly that. What do we do? Um, and there's all kinds of questions. I mean, like, is it when, is it when Alex and, and David and Paul get up here, all three on stage, and we really feel it? Is that when it's true worship? Is it when we raise our hands? Is that true worship? For some of you, it's definitely not raising your hands. That's true worship. Some of us, where do we have communion? Is that true worship? Do we have it right in the middle of service? Because that's what we've always done. Every once in a while, we move it to the end of the service, and we just throw everybody off. And occasionally, we'll even set up tables in the room, and we have people go up and get communion. And some people are like, that is not true worship. It just says nowhere in the Bible that we have to go get communion. Where does it talk about that? That's not true worship. And so we have all these questions and debates and wondering, what about the kids? Do they have to be quiet for it to be true worship? Because if the kids aren't quiet, I can't really concentrate on truly worshiping God. And God can't be happy with the kids making noise. Take them somewhere else because you know what Jesus said, don't let the kids come to me, of course. So we don't want the kids around because they're making too much noise. What is true worship? Define true worship. And Jesus just doesn't do it. His disciples show up and they're on to the next thing. And he doesn't say, this is exactly how you do it. This is what Sunday morning works looks like. I tucked my shirt in today. If you've heard me preach before, you'll, uh, you'll notice that that's a very unusual thing. Somebody said, I didn't even know you ever wore belts. I can see your belt. Oh, well. Tucked it in today. Well, now you can tell it's true worship because Patrick tucked his shirt in. It's serious. It's reverent. What's true worship? Give us details, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't address any of it. He just says, I want true worship. Okay? And it doesn't happen on a holy special mountain. Okay. Well, what do we do? And if we're not careful, we'll define true worship as worship that I like. One last stop, one last verse we're going to look at. So we've looked at these three passages, John chapter, or excuse me, Genesis 22, 
and he talked about, he highlighted the idea that worship for Abraham was sacrifice. It's a very unique story, but it was sacrifice. And then in Exodus chapter 3, we saw that the idea of worship was worship was, was worshiping a holy God. This is special. This is holy. And then in, in John chapter 4, we realize that there's some, some element of the spirit and, and, and there's some element of truth. What, what do we do? Like, how do we truly worship God? And, and this is important because worship is not only expressing our devotion to God. I believe that worship is part of making Christ the center of our lives. I think this is part of the process. So what, what do we do? I'm going to read you a passage of scripture, and it's in Romans chapter 11. It's not on the screen. You're just going to have to listen. I know. What are we going to do? Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. And I want you to hear what Paul is writing. This is Paul, and we're going to lead up to this one particular verse that I think is incredibly important to this discussion. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths of riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And you begin to sense in this language that he's talking about this endless God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And what he's doing is he's describing an endless God. A God of free refills. There's no edges or limits to this God. And he's that I am, the stuff we read in the book of Exodus. Now, Paul is doing something so important because look at what he does in the very next verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Look at the, look at the wording he uses. He's totally intentionally, deliberately bringing in some Old Testament language. Sacrifice and holy. This is your true and proper worship. Some of your versions say this is your reasonable service. And what they're saying is this is the least you can do to an endless God. This is your reasonable service. This is sacrifice, holy, true worship. And here's, the, here's what we need to know about worship. Here's the point. Here's, the, here's what we need to hear. Is worship is bringing everything, everything in our lives into to alignment with the fact that God is infinitely good and infinitely involved in our lives. Everything. Oh, so you're saying now worship has to be my whole life? It would be so much easier if it was a box I could check on Sunday morning singing a few songs. That would just make my life easier. You're saying my whole life has to be worship, Patrick? I've got stuff to do, and if I could just check a box on worship, that would make me feel a lot better. Can I just sing a couple songs on Sunday morning and then get on with my life? Because that's what I would like. That would be great. Let's just check the worship box. Uh, Awesome. That sounds awesome to me. Well, we talked about being overthanked. Have you ever ever been underthanked? Have you ever done something genuinely kind and nice, and the people received it, and they were like, meh, well as if they were entitled to it, as if, as if they expected it. It's so frustrating when, when you get underthanked. You know what I mean? Not that you did it for the thanks, but it feels good for people to recognize the amount of effort that you went into to pull something off. You went to the ends of the earth to find that special gift, and you, you had this special order it and customize it, and you, it finally arrived on Christmas, and it was expensive and thoughtful, and they opened it, and they were like, eh, eh. You've been underthanked. We know how that, we know that, how that feels. Do you think... It is in any way possible to express our gratitude to an infinite, holy, eternal God by singing a couple songs on a Sunday morning? Absolutely not. 
God is like, oh, I gave you everything that you have in your life, and you're going to sing me a couple songs? Great. Now, that's where it starts. It should be part of our worship, but it's so much more. Worship is not less than Sunday morning, but worship is much more than Sunday morning. Any good thing in your life is from God. Any good thing. You like your wife? It's from God. Marriage? Oh, that comes from God, too. Your kids? God, God, and oops, surprise, God. That's all from God. It's all God. God, uh, you like vacationing on a warm beach when it's snowing outside? Well, God created the idea of warmth and beaches and and even snow. We can even give him praise for that. You like, uh, how about this? David wrote in Psalm 150, verse 3, that let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Did you know that the oxygen that fills your lungs, that's God. The blood vessels that take that oxygenated blood to your different parts of your body, that's God. The ability to exhale carbon dioxide into the world and create the ozone layer problems, I don't know. That's God. All that's God. It's all God. And the problem is, is that we don't recognize everything as from God. And so our worship is sad and anemic because we think it's something that we can just do once a week on a Sunday morning. That's, we're under-thanking God if our entire, and the entirety of our lives is not about worship. Worship is bringing everything into alignment with the idea that God is infinitely good. Let's wrap up. I want, to see, I want you to see Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, we should sing, right? I like singing, it's fun. You, you guys enjoy singing? Yeah, we should sing. That's occasional, let's, let's sing. Let's express, express our worship through song. But he goes on to say, so sing and also, verse 17, whatever you do. You know what the word for whatever means in the Greek in verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3? Whatever. That's what it means. Whatever. Anything. Anything. In fact, it's a prefix from a word that you're familiar with, pan, like pantheon or pantheistic. It's anything. Anything you do should be worshiped to God. Now, Bible college Patrick would have had a field day with this because arrogant, you know, punk little 19-year-old Patrick would have been like, anything, really, whatever. Are you sure? Can I go steal cars in the name of Jesus and have it glorify him? That's the kind of thing I would have said. And I, I'm assuming some of you are thinking that too, because, you know, you got that 19-year-old dork inside you too. No, of course not. You cannot worship God by behaving in ways that are contrary to God. Of course not. Don't steal cars and punch people. That's not worship. But of course not. It's like those guys that get their wives' power tools for their wives' birthdays. Honey, this chainsaw's for you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. No, that, that would be redefining worship to fit our own ends. And that's not what we want. We don't want to uh, engage in worship that is about us. We don't want to engage in worship that is all about our preferences, right? So here's a brief and incomplete list of whatever worship. Changing dirty diapers. Doing taxes. Prayer, washing dishes, texting friends, going on vacation for you, listening to music, giving to charity, being at church. That's worship. Here's a brief list of whatever. Some of you are like changing diapers. How can that be worship? God made Moses take off his sandals when he neared the burning bush. God does not want to be anywhere near the business end of my child. How can that be worship? But you know what? Every time you change a dirty diaper, you can thank God for healthy little behinds that are eating well and digesting well. I mean, you can do that. That can be worship. God can be glorified in the way that you engage in your normal household duties with your children. 
doing taxes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right, doing taxes. That is the opposite of worship. But you know what? You can thank God that your financial needs have been met. You can thank God that you have money that you have to give back to the government. It can, it can be worship. And it's an awareness of, uh, of and living from the bigger picture. Our devotion to an unlimited God is expressed in unlimited worship of God. Let's wrap up by saying this. Devotion is about having Christ at the center of our lives. Obedience is the way that we prove that this is God at the center. Worship is the way that we express and I believe even move God toward the center of our lives. So let's worship on Sunday mornings. Let's worship on Mondays when our alarm goes off. Let's worship on Wednesday afternoon when we have to shovel snow. Let's worship when we're doing dishes. Let's worship when we're, when we're changing diapers. Let's worship when we're saying prayers. Let's worship when we're going on walks. Everything. Unlimited worship. Let's sing. Yes. But let's do everything to the glory of God, just like the scriptures teach us. Come back next week. We're going to talk about conviction without compromise. The idea that, that these truths of God need to get into every corner of our lives.